The Bob Murphy Show, episode 263. There's a tidal wave coming. What you gonna do? Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews, conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. Today we're going to be talking about secession. Let me just mention though, you might have thought, well surely Bob's going to talk about bank failures. That's so hot right now. I am going to talk about that on this podcast, but I'm getting ready to record an episode of the Human Action Podcast with Jeff Deist, where that's what we're going to be covering. So I think in terms of maximizing the content that I give you good people, I'll wait till I record that episode with Jeff. Then if there's things that I want to elaborate upon or things we couldn't cover, then I'll cover that in an episode of The Bob Murphy Show. And in that episode, I will point you to the Human Action one so that you get maximum bang for your buck. Unlike if you were a depositor at SVP, am I right? Okay. What we're talking about today, like I say, is secession because that was really hot before the bank failure stuff took center stage. Michael Malice in particular has been talking a lot about it. So it, I think that what rekindled interest in this was Marjorie Taylor Greene somewhat recently came out in favor of national divorcing. Hey, we need to have a conversation about this, blah, blah, blah. And so then... It's gotten to the point, at least if you're a fan of this idea, that at least now everybody's making fun of it and saying how stupid it is, right? Before, it was just not even worth addressing, but now we're at the point of ridicule and contempt. So that's progress, baby steps. So let me just, in this episode, first of all, let me say, I, from the get-go, did not like this term national divorce for various reasons, partly because if you're going to be like pro-family and stuff, it's a little bit awkward to be pushing a divorce, okay? The other thing, though, besides just the optics of it, as it were, is that in a marriage, particularly if it was done under Christian auspices, you are pledging before your family and God to make it work, to be there through good times and bad and so forth, till death do you part, whereas none of us agreed to be part of the union at all, okay? So I think it's giving too much credit to U.S. federal government to liken it to, oh, right now it's like we're married to Uncle Sam. That No, I never said I'd do any of that. And then if you want to say, well, you know, there's a sense in which your ancestors agree to it and blah, 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 you're born into this framework. Okay. And I cover this in my booklet on common sense, the case for Texas independence, which of course I'll link bobmurphyshow.com slash 263. Okay. If you want to say that that's the case, well, then let's look at the federal government. Have they upheld their end of the bargain? They clearly haven't. Okay, so again, but it's not like we're in a covenant relationship with Uncle Sam and even if he doesn't live up to his end, we're still obligated because there's a sacred union that we've, no, that, that didn't happen at all, all right? And like I said, if you do think there was, well, is there anything that Uncle Sam could possibly do to make it null and void? I think there's plenty, a lot more egregious things than King George ever did to the colonists. If you're saying like, well, what do you mean, Bob? What George Bush did with... Iraq was not cool, right? Invading another country on the basis of false pretenses, establishing a worldwide network of secret 
CIA prisons, all the stuff that the NSA was doing, massive eavesdropping, wiretapping effectively every American, then openly lying about it to Congress when they asked about what was going on with that program. And they say, okay, well, that's the Republicans, but I mean, the Democrats are good on civil liberties, right? No. New York Times front page talked about how President Obama had a, quote, secret kill list in which he and his advisors would decide which U.S. citizens were going to be killed without a trial. All right, so, you know, what, what else would they have to do to say that they're not obeying the Constitution? Even if you think all those things are fine, all those policies, you say, ah, well, you know, what a bunch of guys who were used to muskets back in the day, what do they know about modern cyber warfare and drones? Okay, but then, hey, things change, and that's why it makes sense now for Texas to leave the union, right? Things change. So having said that, another reason I don't like the term national divorce is it's causing problems now because people are continuing the analogy, understandably so, the critics of it, and they're saying, well, okay, well, who's going to get custody of the kids? You know, how are we going to divide the property? And so national divorce does make it sound like we're saying, okay, the country right now is going to split into two different factions and we're going to divide everything up according to red and blue. And then that gets really messy. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Who gets the nukes? Blah, blah, blah. It's not like all the Republicans live east of some river and the Democrats all live west of it, that they're all intermixed. So to say national divorce, if you start taking that somewhat literally, it gets really tricky logistically, just like an actual divorce is extremely complicated and messy. Same kind of thing happens here. In contrast, that's why I was suggesting don't think of it as the country splitting into two, rather What's going to happen is, or what could happen, it would be much cleaner, is Texas declares that it is an independent, sovereign country. And then anybody in the United States who wants to go move to the Republic of Texas, where if they're smart, they won't have an income tax, things like that, is free to do so. Won't have a standing army. That's my recommendations to the authorities that would arise in a newly independent Republic of Texas. Okay, so to me, that just makes a lot more sense. It's a lot cleaner. All right, so some of these issues, how do you handle it? You say, well, who gets the nukes? Okay, if it's just Texas breaking away. And by the way, it could be other countries, or yeah, other countries, other states could break away regions and declare themselves independent countries. It doesn't merely need to be Texas. I just thought it's a slam dunk for how it's Texas because Texas is like, if it were an independent country, it would be something like the ninth biggest economy in the world. Okay, so there's no question of, well, gee, how would it defend itself from an attack? I mean, Right now, it's not like there's only nine countries or eight countries on planet Earth because the rest have been absorbed. And so clearly all these other countries that are tiny are able to maintain their existence without being part of the United States. So that's not a, an objection against Texas per se, right? Okay, so it's the easiest to just talk through Texas also because of its geographical location. It's got oceans. It's got the big border with Mexico, right? So there's lots of reasons if any individual state is going to secede and then you worry about blowback from Washington, D.C., things like that, Texas is the logical choice. And I go through all this in my pamphlet if you haven't read that yet. So I definitely encourage you to go. I'm not going to rehash all the arguments right now. Okay, so what about it? Who gets the nukes? What, the way I handled it there is I said, it would be as if a new government were formed where there were pre-existing U.S. troops, right? So let's say there's troops over in Iraq. The Iraqi people have elections, a new government comes to power, and they say, you know what, 
thanks for all you've done for us, folks. But Washington, we would like you to please take your troops off of our soil. And that's, I think, the way to handle conceptually what it would mean if all of a sudden Texas became independent. Just like, though, know, there's major oil companies that have massive amounts of property, wells and so forth. They had the rights to the minerals in Texas right now. If, again, let's just say 66%, actually, let's say 67%, just to be clear. 67% of Texas voters vote to leave the union. It goes through. And by the way, if you say, well, is that legal or not? I mean, I'm not going to get into it here. For one thing, you know, what's going to happen Again, the U.S. government has not been doing anything remotely constitutional in decades. All right. So, again, it's not like, oh, well, they've been obeying the Constitution. So, eh, sorry, guys in Texas, you don't have the right to do blah, blah, blah. That's crazy. But also, look at the Texas Constitution. Okay. When Texas joined the Union, they reserved power to the people, the ability to leave if they wanted. Okay. And I, I'm not going to rehash it here. I quote from it in my pamphlet if you want to go check it out, if you're concerned about the legality of it. If you're lawful, good, and you're aligned, that's fine. Good for you. And I think you're fine. But just to continue this train of thought, okay, so the people of Texas, overwhelming majority, two-to-one majority, vote to leave. They go ahead and do it. So I want to say they would not go ahead and nationalize the oil fields, right? That would be immoral and extremely unwise. And if they were listening to my advice, and I write this up in the pamphlet, I would say, don't do that. You want to maintain the sanctity of property rights. Also, the people that voted no, like their legal standing in the new Texas regime should be no different from people who voted yes in terms of leaving the union, just because it's the right thing to do. But also, you don't want to give a pretext to Washington, D.C., to have them want to send in troops to protect the interests of U.S. citizens, that sort of thing. And so likewise, just like when Castro nationalized a bunch of stuff that was bad and set up hostility, the new Texas government wouldn't want to do that. Again, because it's the right thing to do, but also it'd be bad for public relations, bad for commerce and so on. You want to have international investment. You want everybody in financial markets around the world to know that, yeah, it's fine to do business in Texas. In fact, it's better to do business in Texas now because you don't have to pay for U.S. federal income tax than it was before. All right. Okay. So likewise, who owns a U.S. Army base in Texas? The U.S. federal government is their property. If a bunch of Texas citizens happen to work there, they can stop going to work or whatever. You know, I mean, that gets a little bit complicated because it's just like, what if you work for Exxon and now, you know, Texas reverts, those labor contracts are presumably still valid. So they, that gets a little bit messy, but clearly the physical buildings airfields, what have you, if there's silos with nuclear missiles in place, all that stuff is U.S. federal property, and it still is, okay? So Texas National Guard, I don't know what the legal status of that is. That may plausibly be argued to be Texas property, okay? Maybe it's a slam dunk that it is. I just don't know enough about that kind of situation. But say U.S. Army, Marine Corps, that stuff is all clearly U.S. federal government. So if what's going on is Texas is breaking away from the union, then the U.S. government retains ownership of that stuff. Now you say, well, gee, what if they nuke us now? Well, they can nuke you anyway. Why hasn't the U.S. government nuked Mexico? Because it would be horrible publicity. And they don't need to do that. 
Okay. And so likewise, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> if you want to provoke a fight with the United States federal government, what you would do is say, we're leaving and we're taking some nuclear weapons with us. If you don't want to provoke a fight, yeah, sure. The safest thing is to not leave. But if you're going to leave, say to them, of course, you get to keep all these bad weapons, right? That's the way to do it, to have a semblance of maintaining peace. Okay. And so to me, that's the way you handle that. Very clean. What about things like social security? Again, this is straightforward. People right now can leave the country, renounce their citizenship and go and, you know, become a citizen in France. If some guy has been paying into social security his whole career, when he's 58, he goes and moves to France and changes his citizenship. He doesn't thereby forfeit all of his social security benefits. They have procedures in place for how you claim that. And so Medicare's not as good, but that's not so much because you left the country. It's because you can only use Medicare payments in U.S. facilities. So even if you're just abroad, you can't just go get medical treatment paid for in foreign countries with your Medicare, right? Even if you maintain your U.S. citizenship, right? So that's not a matter of, well, hey, you left, you know, you renounced your citizenship, so now you don't have Medicare. It's more about what Medicare is eligible to pay for, period. Okay, so I'm rushing through it. There's a lot of complications with the rules and whatever and the payments and how long you've had to been paying in for and that kind of thing. But I'm just saying, if you leave the country and renounce your citizenship, it's not that you just therefore don't get your social security anymore. So the way I think the clean way to handle it conceptually is if the people in Texas vote to leave, then those who want to are revoking their citizenship and now they live in the Republic of Texas. And so that's how you'd handle it. In the people who vote no, they can keep their U.S. citizenship. And now it's just their U.S. citizens living abroad in the country of Texas. And, you know, you can handle it there. And the, if the government of Texas is smart, they would be very liberal in their treatment of U.S. citizens, like to allow them to come inside their country and work without having to get visas and stuff like that. Like that's, you know, just to maintain commerce, which ties into another issue. What about trade? So a bunch of left libertarians are strongly opposed to what they call national divorce. And one of their arguments is, oh, we would lose the benefits of free trade. So again, you, you can't stop the U.S. government from punishing somebody for leaving. But if Texas were to leave, for example, they would be stupid to impose tariffs on imports from the now 49 states. That would be dumb, right? And if I'm going to advise them, and if to the extent that they value my opinion, because I was one of the ones pushing for their independence, I'm going to tell them, hey guys, here's a lesson on free trade. And after they wake up from their nap, they'll see the benefits. Okay, so to continue with that train of thought, and this was a point that Dave Smith brought up when he was talking with Michael Malice about this stuff, apparently echoing a point that Hoppe had made, that other things equal, the smaller a region, the more important it is to practice free trade. Okay, so the U.S. right now can get away with having tariff barriers on foreign imports, but, I mean, just take it to the limit. If you as an individual household, if you said, you know what, I'm going to put a 30% tariff on any imports into my household to promote domestic employment, that would be crazy. You clearly wouldn't be helping yourself out. You would just be arbitrarily making it more expensive for you to buy stuff <laughs> in the marketplace. Okay, so, and likewise, if your city decided to have a high tariff barrier to try to say, instead of us importing cars that were made outside the city boundary, 
we really want to encourage cars to be made internally. And the same thing with sweaters and tomatoes and cattle and or, you know, beef, so forth. That would be crazy, especially depending on where the city was located. That could be suicidal, depending on how high the tariff barrier was. All right, so the poverty that is inflicted on a group of people from a high tariff policy is increased the smaller the group of people. All right, and so if Texas were to break away, clearly Texas would not benefit from having high tariff barriers and the other states, yeah, they could get away with it, but they would be silly to. And especially if more and more regions broke away, the remaining block that would presumably still want to retain the title of the United States or the U.S., it would become costlier for them to have tariff barriers on each of the breakaway regions. And I just think that even if it were something done initially, in the long run, it would probably get smoothed out. And also, too, just a huge benefit right off the bat, if Texas leaves, the people living there don't have to pay U.S. federal income tax, right? So that's a huge hurdle that's removed that, yeah, even if there's now tariffs in place, you know, oh, well, but they would have to be pretty high tariffs in order to completely negate the benefit of not having to pay U.S. federal income tax. Also, too, in case you're saying, well, gee, they're going to have to have a Texas equivalent in order to provide all the same good valued services. No, because the people of Texas do not need to maintain a foreign empire. There's lots of stuff that the U.S. federal government spends money on that the people of Texas don't need. And that they, it's not that they would have to provide the Texas analog of that and tax their citizens accordingly. Okay, another objection I've seen is people say, well, who would issue the money? Again, that's real simple. Nobody. That if they're smart, what the authorities in Texas would do is just say to their citizens, use whatever money you want. We won't have, if they don't have an income tax, this isn't going to be an issue. But if they did have one, like to exempt the precious metals, what happens right now is one of the roadblocks to using gold and silver coins, for example, as the money is that if you are paid in gold coins right now and then you hang on to them and they go up in market price quoted in US dollars, and then you go to, quote, buy something with the gold coins down the road, under current U.S. tax law, you're going to get taxed on the capital gain of, you know, how much did the market price of the gold coin go up in the interim while you're holding it, right? And so that's, for one thing, just the administ- the paperwork involved. You got to keep, you know, technically, if you're going to be compliant, you're supposed to keep track of all that stuff. It's easier, of course, with cryptocurrency because it's, you've got all the automated transactions record, but that's an issue. So, one thing is in a region that doesn't have an income tax, hence doesn't have capital gains taxes, then that wouldn't be an issue. So you could do that. But also too, if you know, you've got banks and stuff that are using US dollars, they could continue to do that. It's not that every institution in Texas the day after they seceded would need to use some new unit of money. That's not the case at all. And again, there doesn't need to be some other entity issuing Texas-based money. Just let market forces work. If some banks want to issue gold-backed notes, if, again, other people want to keep using the dollar, they can do that. Other people want to, if certain restaurants get paid in pesos or whatever, if they're close to the border, they can do that. So again, it's this false problem. that No one needs to issue the money, let the market do that. Okay, the biggest objection by far, though, is, hey, the last time we tried this, there was a civil war. Washington is not going to let us do this. So it's null and void. 
So it depends on how the person says this. Some of them say it matter of factly, and they're also like, what blows my mind is a conservative right winger type who's, you know, USA, all right, I love America. Why would you want to leave anyway? That kind of thing. Go to Samaya, you punk. And anyway, if you did try to leave, you'd have a, a bunch of US firepower raining down on you. God bless America. And why would you think that, right? In other words, why are you proud of a country that you're admitting if somebody tried to leave, if somebody actually took the words in the Declaration of Independence at face value, actually thought Thomas Jefferson was serious, then why would you support a country that says, if anyone tries to do that, we will murder them? Or, I don't mean to love it, we will blow them up. Let's not call it murder, since they think it's justified. Right, that blows my mind, right? So I do understand somebody who doesn't like the U.S. government, and it says, yeah, it'd be great if we could break away, but just realistically, guys, I don't think they'd let us do it. And all this talk of secession, I think you're going to get people killed, and let's just talk about cutting taxes by 12 percentage points or something. Like, I disagree with the strategy, but I understand where you're coming from. But again, the people who are rah-rah, pro-USA, and they also matter-of-factly talk about, ha if you tried to leave, you'd get blown up, idiot. Go hang out with your militia buddies, you LARPers. That's weird to me. And I think those people should be called out. And it's not just a matter of giving us a fun recreational thing to do or ha-ha, we just get some consumption value out of zinging these people. It actually serves a purpose. Okay, so let me just explain a little bit more of what I mean. Okay, let me motivate it this way. So David R. Henderson had a fascinating post. This was on EconLog back in September 29th, 2017 called My Retirement. And he was talking about how he was leaving the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey to become an emeritus professor. He was there for 33 years. And this anecdote that he shared in the blog post or whatever, yeah, I guess it's a blog post. I just loved. So here, let me, um, let me see here. Okay. So he's talking about when he first started there. So my experience with teaching there, he started, he went there, he did a courtesy call, uh, arriving there in August, 1984. The previous chair had liked me a lot and had hired me, even though I later heard there was a lot of opposition to my being hired. Okay. So David, there was a previous chair who liked him. And then apparently there had been some opposition. Now this new chair, the new chair had replaced him a month or two before I got there. Okay. This is David R. Henderson talking. His predecessor had hired me on a year-to-year basis with a handshake agreement that would go three years. When I made my courtesy call, the new chairman gave me some tips about what to do in, quote, your year here. So I knew that he had no intention of renewing. My wife was five months pregnant at the time, and so I wasn't thrilled about almost immediately looking for a new job. In my first conversation with the new chairman, he gave me two tips. It's the second one that relates to teaching the students, but I want to tell the first one too, because my response to it was key to my turning the chairman around on whether he wanted to renew me. He said, quote, there are a lot of people on the faculty who didn't want you here. I don't need to tell you who they are. You'll figure that out pretty quickly when you run into them in the hallway and they try to trip you up. Earlier on, he had told me that if I had any questions at any time, I should feel free to ask. I saw my opening. Bill, I said, you mentioned that there are people who didn't want me here and who will try to trip me up. I do have one question. Are you one of them? He paused and then said, no. Good, I said, that's good to know. A year later, he renewed me, and a year after that, he supported me in going tenure track. Years later, when I told this story to a colleague in organizational behavior, she told me that what I had done is opened up a space in his brain for his answer to be no. His answer at the time was probably yes, but, she said, most people don't want to think of themselves as liars, and so by saying no, he had to allow that it might really be no. 
All I knew at a gut level was that that was the right question to ask. Okay, so I hope I didn't spoil it by me reading it because I just know when I read that, I was blown away. And I thought, what a cool story. What a great move that David R. Henderson did there. By the way, the reason I use his middle initial is there's another David Henderson who's in economics circles. And so David R. Henderson likes to use his initial just to distinguish the two. So what a great story. Again, I hope I conveyed that by reading it and it didn't lose something as to how he just turned that around, right? Because that was a very thinly veiled, passive aggressive thing that that department chair said to him. Like, you know, what just, geez, what I can imagine somebody, a young faculty member, I don't know how, I don't know what David's age was at the time, but you know, he's got a wife who's pregnant and he just goes and moves. And now, geez, the guy just tells him that right out of the gate. Like, geez, what a buzzkill and how demoralized you would be and just be, you know, might be pouty and this isn't fair. No, he just flipped it around. When the guy told him there's people here who don't wish you well and want to see you fail. And he just said, are you one of those people? What an awesome move. Just taking command of the situation. Total alpha move, if you want to use that terminology. Okay, so that is the approach. That's what we need to do. Those of you who favor secession, that's what we need to do to get past this logjam where people just matter-of-factly say, well, if you guys try to leave, you just get killed. Okay, so what you need to do is say to the person, okay, what I need to know is, are you one of those people? Do you think, let's say 67% of the voters in Texas want to leave, are you going to be in favor of the U.S. government dropping bombs on Dallas? Yes or no? And you might think this is a trivial little, like, who cares? No, it's important. Okay, so for one thing is it's fascinating to watch. Oh, by the way, let me just mention before I forget, I don't know what David's views on secession are, right? So here, I'm not saying David is in favor of Texas secession or anything like that. I'm just saying the technique he used with this chair who was being passive aggressive in order to flip the guy around and put him on the spot. That's what I'm saying. We need to use that sort of moral strength, moral courage to just shame people and box them in, right? Because most people are going to have a hard time saying, yeah, if a bunch of the adults in Texas voted to leave, I think we should go ahead and kill tens of thousands of children in Texas to punish their parents for the audacity of thinking Thomas Jefferson meant what he said or was right in what he said. I think that is going to be a tough sell. Okay. Most people are not going to want this. Now, some will, like they might, and I would encourage you push them to say in those terms, right? Because they're going to just try to say euphemistically, like, well, no, they don't have the right to secede. Your civil war settled, but just make it crystal clear as to what are you saying? You're saying if a vote goes a certain way and then they stop paying income tax and say they don't think they need to do that, your solution ultimately is going to be to start bombing them into submission, killing thousands of children. Make them say that. Okay, again, some of them may, but I think a lot of them will not want to say that. And I've seen this in practice on Twitter when people started saying that to me about, well, there's going to be a war, you know, you idiot. I would just ask them, but would you support it? Would you support the federal government using the military to suppress a breakaway region. And it's amazing to see how reluctant they are to say yes. The guy, this one guy in particular, I'm remembering, he just kept trying to change it. He kept saying, what does it matter? What does it matter what I think? I'm not the one in charge of the military. What does it matter? You just keep trying to, you, now you're diverting it, Murphy. You, you know, I brought up the objection to your stupid plan and now you care about what, what do you care? I'm not in charge of the Marines. But, and so I said, okay, fine, but just answer the question. And it was like, the guy would not answer the question. It was freaky. Okay? Because again, why would he, right? Most people, especially Americans, do not want to think of themselves as somebody who would say, 
if a group of people decide they want to form a more perfect union and leave a pre-existing political body, they should be slaughtered for the audacity of thinking they have the right to self-determination. Americans have a hard time saying, I mean, we've been brought up to believe Abraham Lincoln slaughtered a bunch of the Southerners in order to prove that our experiment in self-government wouldn't fail. That's the most Orwellian thing ever. And yet that's what people are taught. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of cognitive dis- They're not going to want to say it. So put them on record. And again, it's not merely a fun party trick to amuse your friends. Once they say, okay, yeah, I would not support that. Boom. That's one person in our camp, right? We don't have to get a bunch of people to agree that secession is a good idea. All we have to do is get them to say out loud or type it publicly that if some group decided to leave, I personally would not be in favor of the U.S. government bombing them into submission. And you, again, you might think, well, that's the point of that, Murphy, that it, because public opinion matters. The U.S. government, like, w- why didn't they go to war with Iran a few years ago when they were saber rattling? Is because the anti-war movement raised a big enough stink. All right, that's why. And they decided they didn't have the public with them, and so they backed off. So it matters a lot. They are not going to bomb Dallas if they think most of the people in the rest of the country would say, you should not have done that. And again, keep in mind, we're going to have social media. They're going to be able to see footage of burning neighborhoods in Dallas with a bunch of dead American kids. And if so, if what Texas has done at that point is merely held a vote and at worst withheld federal income taxes, and that's the most aggressive things they've done, it's going to be hard to justify a bunch of dead kids if that's what the offense is. In contrast, if the Texas militia groups all get ready and they start attacking federal bases or something, that's stupid. You do not want to give them a pretext. And so here I disagree. I'm going to do this thing where I often do folks where I queue up something and then if we can't find the clip, my sound guy's going to have to just do the but here, let's see if we can find the clip where Malice is talking to Dave Smith and says something they disagree with. Well, okay, but look, I mean, under a government, some people could commit a genocide, right? Like, we've seen that happen. So even if you're arguing for a government, you're arguing for a government a certain way. You're not yeah. just arguing for any government will do. And and much like with this, with the idea of national force, like, yeah, it would have to be done in a certain way. There are, there are several things that would have to happen that would be very, very important to happen. Like, number one, you would have to um, get as large of public support for it as you could possibly have. You're going to need something in the range of like 80% of people in that area wanting to secede. It's not going to work if you have 51% of people who, who want to secede. You're going to have to get like an overwhelming majority. And number two, you're going to have to um, be incredibly respectful of the rights of the people who dissented. It is not going to work if Texas seceded from the United States of America right. and then Texas started like violently abusing the 20% of Texans who didn't want to secede. That's going to be a justification for others to, to invade and come in. Oh, we have to do this for the rights of those people. Wait, so, but they're, gonna, they, they're not going to have any, if they want a justification, they'll find one. I mean, well, yes, but you, but you, st- that might be true, but you still don't want to hand them an easy one and you don't want to hand them an easy one that could be sold very easily. Okay, so there, I totally agree with what Dave's take was. If we're going to do this, it has to be as peaceful and as non-objectionable as possible to have a moral case on our side. Just like in the civil rights movement, you want to have a bunch of firefighters hosing down nonviolent protesters, people just marching. I think I've mentioned this before in my pacifism episodes. 
there were, you know, for sit-ins, for example, there were training sessions. Like this wasn't just, hey man, we're going to use nonviolence and just hope it all works. No, they had, it was a strategy. Nonviolence is a strategy when you're up against a stronger foe and they would do training sessions and things like they would go at the sit-ins, you know, like they're going to go do a sit-in in a lunch counter or something where there's segregation. And so they would train ahead of time and say, okay, we're going to go in and form a circle around people on the inside so that if the other, the patrons or whatever who come in and want to bully us, there's like a ring of defense. And those people on the outer ring are going to take the blows. And then when they've gotten beaten up enough and they need a break, we'll swap. And the people on the inside of the circle will then go to the outside and the people on the outside will go on the inside. So like our people will be forming a human shield and we'll rotate in and out to take punches and spitting and whatever from these outside. And all we will do is we'll talk to them and say, why are you spitting on me? What, why are you punching me? And just keep talking to them. Like it make them answer you because it's going to be harder for them to keep spitting on someone and punching them. They're just saying, why are you doing that? And this is, tr- I mean, <laughs> my wife and I laugh about because we, our two-year-old is extremely glib. And so when we're disciplining him for stuff that he's done, like he will sit there and tell us an extremely advanced terminology explaining to us why he disagrees with our parental decisions. And it really does sometimes, you know, make you stop and like second guess yourself. Like, no, 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 you know, <laughs> you, you kept throwing that toy and I told you not to, no, you're going to timeout. But, and you can say, well, people need, you know, it only works to people with a conscience. Well, most people want to sleep at night thinking they're a good person. Okay. Yeah. There are some complete psycho, I don't know, I forget if it's psychopath or sociopath. There's a distinction between those terms. Some people are like that and they literally have no conscience. Okay, fine. But a lot of them do. And those are the people we're going to appeal to. And also back to the point I was making about get them on record, as David said in his anecdote there, once the chair said out loud, I'm not one of the people who's against you, that was critical to now transforming that guy's attitude. Right? There's, there's psychology experiments on this kind of stuff where I think I've got the details of this right. It goes something like this that somebody will like give people a taste test or like they'll show them two lines and one line is clearly longer than the other. It's something like that where there's clearly an objectively right answer and then they'll pay the person $3 to say the opposite. And then a week later, they'll ask them to report, what do you think is, you know, which line was longer or which drink tasted better, whatever it was. And they will say the thing that they said originally because it just got paid. And so the theory is most people don't want to think they would have lied for $3. And so then later on, as the event itself fades from memory, they'll change their memory so that they actually correctly reported what they actually believed at the time. Because to say, you don't want to think of yourself as somebody who would have changed the answer just for like three bucks or something. All right. So again, I'm fudging the details a little bit, but that's the spirit of what the psychology project was. So likewise here, if you get somebody on record saying, I will not support the U.S. government if they try to use violence to stop a group of separatists so long as the separatists have not done anything violent themselves. If they're just declaring, we don't think we should want to be part of the United States anymore. Yeah, I don't think the U.S. government should start killing them and certainly not their children. Get someone to say that out loud or type it publicly. And then it will be harder for that person down the road if the situation does actually come to a head to then support the government in that situation because you're sort of boxing them in now. Okay, let me just give some more examples of this type of thing because we clearly have right on our side. And I, what we need to do is shatter this spell 
this sort of this smug, you know, like, oh, I'm cool. I know what's up. I know the government would just slaughter everybody. And, you know, people separate from other governments. It was largely peaceful in the Soviet Union when it broke apart. And others, you know, Quebec, they periodically have separatist inklings. And we would sort of be shocked, right, if the Canadian government came in and just started slaughtering people. Okay, so it can happen elsewhere. There's no reason it couldn't happen here. And let's get it out of our heads that it's just a fait accompli. And no, 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 we could, this could never happen because the government would just start killing everybody. But no, don't agree to that. That's crazy. That's outrageous. That's sick. And we need to explain that to people because they know it is too. You have to need to have moral righteousness and be burning with this. Let me give you an example. Listen, if you've never heard this, you're in for a treat. Here's Joan Rivers when some guy kind of just matter-of-factly, smugly tried to tell her that she was racist. Check this out. Since Black offends Joan, I would read Black, wait, no, just stop right now. Black does not offend me. How dare you? How dare you say that? Black offends me? You know nothing about me. You sat down here. How I, dare you? The use of the term black offends. Well, uh, the use of the term black offends me? Where the hell are you coming from? You have got such a chip on your shoulder. I don't give a damn if you are black, white, I do. Black. I couldn't care less. It's what the person is. And don't think, no, think but about don't you dare call me a racist. I, have, I don't know you. I, I, don't think, I don't think it was personal. You said the term black offends me. I don't think it was personal. Oh, I think it was when someone says the term black offends Joan. I will not sit here and be sad that. How Dare you I say think this that? is a language problem. No, I don't. Caribbean I think this is a problem in your Caribbean. stupid head. You had a child, you left them, your wife said you weren't there, you married a woman, you deserted her, now your son comes back, he's got problems. Where were you when he was growing up until he was eight years old? continue? Yes, you sir, but don't you dare call me a racist. Okay, do you see what I mean? You see how she just took that over? I'm sure that guy was shocked. He probably is used to having a bunch of white liberals, especially women, falling all over themselves to not offend him and to talk about how great reparation or whatever. I don't know the guy, but I'm guessing if he was that confident in talking to Joan Rivers the way he just did. And so he was probably stunned that she reacted like that. All right. I'm not going to play it, but somewhat similar. Remember how Jordan Peterson, when he was starting to get big and then there was that. So what you're saying is, and he just flipped it on that lady and went, huh, gotcha. That one. <laughs> There's something like Crocodile Dundee. I don't know what the heck that was, but I can do a Jordan Peterson impression. I just haven't worked out in a while. Trust me. I'll deploy it later when the time is right. Okay. So again, the reason some of us were so amazed by that was because we just kind of took it for granted. Oh yeah. If you're going to get interviewed by the mainstream media, they're just going to sit there and mischaracterize. You just got to sit there. But you know, when I get back and talk to people in my blog and get into my Reddit subgroup and blah, 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 then I'll explain how I was mischaracterized by those. And no, he just did not sit there and take it. He flipped it on her and with such conviction that she was tripping over her words. Okay. And I'm saying something like this. This isn't a minor disagreement. This isn't a fuzzy area. No, if a group of people say we don't want to be part of this political organization, that other group does not get to kill them. That is a staple of Americanism. And certainly they don't get to say, oh, it's un-American for you to think that you should be able to have your own government. Screw you. We're going to kill you. That's sick. All right. And we need to explain that to people. Remind them of it. Not explain it. Remind them of it because that's what they believe. You want another example? Okay. How about this one? The movie was The Postman Always Rings Twice. And it's starring Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. 
I think there was a an earlier well, like made in the forties, right? So this may be a remake of like a popular theme or something. But it's a drifter comes in and there's a lonely housewife, and then she falls for him, and it's runs away with him. And there's this scene where he's at like the, the bus station or something, and he goes out to start shooting dice with these hoods that are out there. And then it's, he wins. And so he should walk away with the money. And then they all are kind of like, you know, why don't you play some more or whatever? And it's a kind of thing where you're imagining what would happen is either he kind of has to go along with it. And it's unfair that these guys just strong armed him because there's a bunch of guys, right? I mean, they could physically take him. Or you think maybe it's going to be an action movie and it's Jack Nicholson and he's going to go nuts and maybe he's got a razor in his shoe or something. Because this guy's pretty hot-headed, as Jack Nicholson characters often are, in the movie, so you don't know what he's going to do. But what he does instead is he just dresses them down verbally and explains to them why what they're doing is immoral and that it's his money. So let me see. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the clip. So here, I'll put a note. Ready? We're going to either have the clip or not. Ready, set, go. How much are you getting? 19 open, two, seven, one more. Roll an ace, two. Ace, ace. No way. You got it. You got it. Yeah, all right. Oh, I must have stepped in today. You destroyed me. sure did get lucky. Wait a minute. Did you leave him with the money? I want it. They made. I want a shot to get it back. Fuck you, I want this money. Right? Huh? It's all right with me, pal. Good meeting with you. Okay. So I don't even know. This is all, this is fun for me because we don't know. I don't know at this point whether you guys have just heard the clip or not, but if not, go check out the movie. It's pretty intense acting from Nicholson and Jessica Lange in that film. But anyway, that scene, I just, I thought was amazing when I saw that as a kid. Because again, my point, in case you're losing what's my point here, is that was a situation where you just would have thought, oh yeah, in the real world, that's why you don't go shooting dice with a bunch of guys in a back alley behind a bus station because even if you won, they're not going to let you walk out of there with your money. And no, he did. And it's believable. Last thing too is the scene is believable, right? Because he's saying it with such passion and fury that they're kind of like, right? That it's, again, it people do have a moral code and they just try to ignore it when convenient. And so sometimes we need to remind them. So guess what, folks? If the people in Texas by a two-to-one margin voted to leave the union, it is completely unacceptable, immoral, evil for the U.S. federal government to drop bombs on them in response. Okay? Period. End of story. If you disagree, you are wrong and you're sick and you need to reevaluate your moral code. Thanks everyone for listening and I will catch you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.